Hello, my name is Connor. And I'm Jason. And you are listening to the Amazed and Perplexed podcast. So it is so good to be speaking to you right now. Uh, yeah, it's one of those weird things. Like, what do you say after so long? Uh, how do you talk to your friends after you come back from summer vacation? Mm -hmm. um, when you promised that you would keep in touch with your friends and you just never did. I, yeah, um, I never or, called you. Sorry. No, it's okay. It's okay. Well, I, I knew you weren't going to call me. But, but I'm, still, that, I'm still working on that letter. There, <laughs> there is that similar vibe of that last day of school. And somebody writes hags, you know, have a great summer. <laughs> and then you show up and you're like, oh, yeah, we're in the same class and we're at the same table. So we kind of got to be friends now again. Not that that's how I feel towards you. But there is that there is that sense of like, OK, what's new? How have things changed? Um, so, Jason, you had a you had a pretty crazy experience for those who are maybe hopping on or a little behind and just jumping around. Jason from May ish to the end of August was on sabbatical and I just kind of want to process through and, and hear what that was like for him. And then maybe later on the episode, we'll talk about um, how that is, what that looks like now in him and maybe a little, just a tiny bit of what's changed in my life and what God has done there. And, and then next week, we'll kind of jump in more to a, more of a regular feeling type Mason Perplex episode. So Jason, um, tell me about your sabbatical. What's the first thing that jumps to your mind? So my only directive, I was don't do what you usually do. And so... What I usually do is spend a ton of time with people, and often that involves listening to, uh, it's, it's not usually biblical questions, it's usually application life questions, like I've got this problem, how do I work through it, uh, or I'm planning something, some kind of event or uh, ministry or something. And so it, it was interesting because one of the things that I think a lot of ministers deal with is who are my friends and what is ministry and, you know, these kind of things. So it's a very interesting dynamic, you know, and I just chose for oh, about six weeks, I didn't talk to anybody, you know, I didn't, um, other than my family, I didn't hardly talk to anybody. And I did, you know, people always ask, where did you go? And that really wasn't a big piece for me. I know there are people that do amazing things or sabbatical. Mine was more about just being you know, and being alone and not having a full calendar and those kind of things. Now, I did go, I don't know, how 15 or so days I did intensive work, uh, which what I mean by that or soul work is these were spaces created uh, that you could be safe and be, you know, really brutally honest. Uh, and there was enormous amount of grace there. So then you can process things that either you weren't aware of or you're aware of, but it seemed like too big of a mess, you know, to deal with. You know, I, I think a lot of us have a sense of, I get these things going on, but I'm, I'm doing okay in life. Mm -hmm. And I've realized a while ago that for me, that was settling, you know, and I just feel more and more free every time I go through one of those processes. So I did two separate processes and one was a seven day and one was a three weekend uh, experience. And both of them were incredibly different approaches to anything I'd had before. And yet uh, it, they created the same type of environment. So those were super helpful to me. And then I spent a lot of time just around my house, which I don't do a lot of. Um, 
Well, I guess that's not true. During COVID, I did a lot of, but but in normal living, I didn't do a lot of. And so some of that time was just relaxing. A lot of that, uh, a lot of that time was processing, you know, because you you unpack all this stuff and these experiences. And a lot of times you'll go, you'll jump right back into work. And so you kind of lose some of it. So I was able to integrate and I'm still working on that, um, you know, and I can go into specifics. I don't know where, where we want to go exactly with this, but, but yeah, a lot of it was not, I've said a lot, a lot, um, but that has been, uh, that was a, a great deal of my, <laughs> of my experience. And, and there is part of me. Thank goodness. I love that. This, that thesaurus. And yeah. Send yeah, 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 book yeah, out give, for you. Give me more words for a lot of, um, there, there is this part that when you are working with people and at least the way you approach it, regardless of the job description is you care deeply for those people, especially if, you know, I'm talking several hundred people that I do think I had reached a state of mild burnout. Mm-hmm. I wasn't disconnecting from things because usually the the indications are you're, you're letting things go, like you're not following through, you're not doing things you enjoy, um, you spend all day in bed, these kind of um, experiences. And I wasn't having that, but I did reach a point where my my wife and some of my friends, my coworkers were noticing I was very, I was growing negative. Mm-hmm. And so I didn't, I took the sabbatical as a matter of course, like we have that scheduled in, uh, but it ended up being perfect. I mean, the timing was perfect. And so a lot of it is decompression. There, there's something, at least the way I do ministry is I will wake up with people on my mind. Mm-hmm. They're on my mind all day. I go to bed with them on my mind. I'm thinking about these conversations. I'm asking God, okay, what, where do I fit? Do I have a place here? Um, and I want to let him do all that. Yeah, but I carry some of it, you know, and so to be able to really disconnect, um, man, it was a huge blessing, huge blessing. So I want to kind of drill down on, on, on two things. One, I don't know why this is striking me now, um, but I would love to have seen like your job description when you got hired at Memorial and does it look anything like what you described there um just such a complete like you know i didn't i didn't hear like a any i didn't hear you talk at all about you know you're planning for a class or planning for a sermon it was all just focused around people um and i think that's beautiful and i think it's the way it should um but it's so fascinating to me uh, this is kind of jumping into the second my second observation is so when you've left like so if you've ever left a church or a pastor has left a church or you've had like a youth minister leave um it's one of those shocking things that somebody is so involved in your life is such a critical part of it and then all of a sudden just drops completely and and, and oftentimes and i know it's the case for me when i got fired um you know suddenly all these relationships right that were you know the biggest deal are just you know ghosts in a moment um and that wasn't necessarily the case for you because like you knew you're going to come back and you knew it wasn't forever. Um, but I am just so fascinated for you, for somebody, you know, who like when you were thinking about how do I get away from my job? It wasn't I mean, it, this was part of it, but it wasn't focused on how do I get away from my planning and my organizations? How do I get away from um, this from from this? I don't know how to phrase it because it. It sounds like we can't get away from being people centric, but getting um, how do you get away from being so invested and so involved and so in the weeds and be able to pull yourself back so you can take a breath and observe and and, and learn and be able to, you know, do all those cool things you got to do. Um, So I guess my my question in in all of that is um, how is that affected how you reintegrate yourself into these people's lives? Right. Because like if you have if you leave a church, 
there's not a point where you come back, you know, three months later and are immediately in their lives unless you get hired by them. And so this is a really unique, a unique thing because this is such a massive part. Um, so yeah, what, what are your thoughts? What are your thoughts on, on the, on basically the sudden, like massive pause on most of your serious relationships to now the, res the resuming actually let's what let's i'm gonna ask you first this what it was like to stop what are your what were your feelings about stopping and then now or what are your feelings about resuming so what are your feelings about stopping yeah about stopping i felt cruel um <clears throat> and i felt it was the one thing that was clear i needed to do yeah you know because it's almost impossible for the way i'm wired to listen to something and not become integrated within so I went on sabbatical on a Sunday and I got an immediate call on a Sunday <laughs> and I, in my mind, I was like, I'm going to wait until Wednesday to go on sabbatical. <laughs> That's what happened because a crisis came up with people I love yeah. and I was you know, uniquely placed. And so I thought I'm going to do this. But then within those three days, I got three other calls uh, from a couple of people I never talked to. Like they live in other States and I value them greatly. And I had to write them back and say, Hey, I'm, I'm not doing this, mm -hmm. you know, and it was really good for me. You know, Terry Rush, who was the preacher that preceded me at Memorial, he, he told me of a time where he got really sick, um, years and years ago and he was scared to death that the church was going to fall apart. And it went on from, I, I think weeks that he just couldn't be involved in anything. And he came back and realized, oh, everything's fine. <laughs> and I believed that. I believed that to be true of me. I believe I could disappear and the church would be fine. And if I did disappear and the church wasn't fine, then is it really the church? Mm -hmm. And so... Um, Isn't that the ironic part of how so many people build churches is that the mark of you doing a good job is that you are less valuable? And that's such a massive thing about the kingdom is that is is it's so contrary to how every other job and how every how even most churches value their ministers value even the people like even the people serving in their churches who aren't paid. Um, like I I would love to see that on a job description. In five years, we would love to, for you to be less valuable to us than you are right now. You're right, <laughs> and and yeah, you're right to put that in a, in a word. You usually try to become irreplaceable. Mm -hmm so that you feel safe and you feel secure and you're like, I wouldn't get fired. So on one hand, I feel as safe as I've ever felt in any job ever, including when I was on sabbatical, which I think is just, what a, what a huge uh, yeah. kudos to, to Memorial Drive Church of Christ and their leadership. Um, but yeah, to really move, it's, it's one thing to think it, it's another thing to do it. So to, to refuse calls, to refuse text. And after those first few days, like once it was established in everybody's mind, nobody contacted me. I should have, I should have tested you. I should have, yes. I should have been like, Hannah's going into labor. Like she's not pregnant. <laughs> so much has changed. <laughs> um, but, but yeah, it was, and, and there were moments where I'm like, does anybody care? You oh, know, yeah. it crosses your mind. I, one time, so there was a, a, a several funerals that happened during, uh, parts of my sabbatical and I chose to attend those. Um, and this, this one I showed up at, and, and it's, it's pre, you know, and most of the time you're going around greeting. So I'm going around greeting people, and Tim, my, my co-preacher that I, that I share the preaching with, uh, he was there, and I'd gone around, I said hi, and I came back, and I said, um, it, it's kind of weird, like like nobody's really happy to see me. And I know it's a funeral, so, so I, I mean, I'm not that <laughs> Why egotistical. Why am I not the star of the show? <laughs> I know, I was like, hey, everybody. Um, but anyway, and he was like, we're all scared. And I was like, he, and, and he, he was being a bit hyperbolic, but it, but it was that idea of, we don't know if we're supposed to, we don't want to break the bubble. Yeah. Right. We don't want to break the bubble. And, and it felt so good to be honored like that, mm -hmm. you know, but this is a lot of thing about perspective. You know, one of the biggest things 
that God gave me over this whole duration is perspective, perspective on friendships and what does that mean and perspective on who's doing the work, you know, perspective on what I should expect of people. We have, I have huge expectations of people, not even that I expect more, but I, I just, I have so many, I have so many expectations of people and I don't, I would say, no, I don't No, I'm casual. I'm a, I'm an Enneagram seven. I'm glass all full. Everybody's wonderful. But the truth of the matter is I recognize more than ever. And it's one of those things I think I would have agreed to it six months ago, but I know it in a much more defined way that as I'm interacting with the person, Whatever you're giving me with your body language, your words, your attitude, that's part of it. But I have this huge, like one of the guys that led my, led one of the intensives I was part of said, said we all have virtual unreality glasses. And if we don't realize it, we just define the world as we see it. Mm -hmm. And so I realized, like for one thing I I discovered is I was raised in a house of volatility. You You didn't know. You didn't know from day to day. And despite the fact that my relationship with Heather isn't that way, it was kind of this in deep internal rhythm in me. Like if things was going, were going well, I would get negative, mm-hmm. you know, and, and Heather would ask me about it. And I just thought she's making it up. And, and I'd always find something to blame it on. She's like, why? What's wrong? And I'm like, well, you looked at me. <laughs> it kind of that it's that kind of thing, you know, yeah. and I would always have some reason. But what I realized is I was continuing that rhythm from childhood unbeknownst to me. Yeah. You know, and I think prior to Heather, of course, that's almost 30 years ago now, but prior to Heather, I just, that almost always led to breakups Mm -hmm. and I'd always blame the other person, you know? And then with Heather, it it was quelled and I felt safer with her, but I still notice that's there and we'll, we'll call it now. Like we'll be in a conversation, we'll be having whatever we're doing. And then all of a sudden I'll say something like, that's a jab. And I used to say, well, that's just me being funny. Yeah. But it was me keeping up this un... I was unconscious of this rhythm behind the scenes. And, mm-hmm. and so to, to move into spaces where you feel totally safe and often I'd be like, I don't even know what I'm going to work on, you know, but I'd signed up. So I'm here, you know, and then all of a sudden realize, oh yeah, that's deeply affecting me. But I was, I was unaware of it, you know, until right now. And so that has been really a big deal. So, yeah, I, I've got examples. Yeah. But so one man, I the phrase "virtual unreality glasses" that that's fantastic. That's like blowing my mind. That's so good. So I, I want to like hone in a little bit more. You talk you talk about the like getting away from the things you're doing and and people and you know being so deeply invested in their lives and their problems and um, just being in the weeds is such a massive part of what you were doing. And so getting away from that was was massive. And then you talked about how. Um, how you came to realize a lot of these deep rhythms of, 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 of relying on unrest, relying on there being this volatility. Um, how did you see just in, in, in the aspect of like, of no longer, of basically the only people in your life being your family. Um, did you see your desire for that rhythm or your subconscious wanting to, did you see that increasing? Like, how did that play out for you to real, like, you know, not that you have, have it all solved now, but how did, how did that play out for you? Yeah, so one of the things that comes up is you start asking yourself, what do I want? And, you know, for me, when I was 22, I, I joined the AIM program, and I was assimilated, you know, into that, loved it. 
And uh, then after that, largely I was assigned to things, and then I went from AIM to Memorial, and I'm assigned to Memorial Drive. So now I'm, I have all these Sundays free, you know, to go wherever. And I went to all all kinds of different churches, and I'm just watching, you know. It was a funny dynamic. I I, I know I've said to you before, but in all, every church I visited, beside two, they had a guest preacher from mm. somewhere else, some other state. And it was comical. Like when they would come up and they'd be like, hey, everybody, we have a special guest just this week. And I'm like, no, that's every week for me. It's because it's I'm here. You brought that person in. And man, every lesson moved me to tears. And it was, mm. it was fascinating. There was this one in particular, a guy got up and uh, he'd been invited in. And I'm telling you, first impressions. Uh, he was, he had a, I think he had a wife beater, uh, white t-shirt on. Nice. And it looked like he had dirty, like khaki pants. And I'm like were you aware you're going to speak today? And I, I mean, I dress casual, but come on, you know, and he got up and man, he started and he was talking about his, his accent was very Southern and, and which is not a problem, but it just kind of was starting to fit a stereotype. And then he like turned a corner and it was, his lesson was amazing, you mm-hmm. know? And so just that, that awareness of God taking God, taking care of me. And, and I think that's one of the things that you were always, I'm always tempted to trade God for whatever's present. So my friends and the people I, I get to work with, which they're my friends as well, um, sometimes I can take the blessing they are and trade that for God. And, and I'm always reminded, you know, Romans 125 said these, there were these people, they traded the worship of the creator and instead they worship created things. And of course, what is created things? Everybody, including people. Mm-hmm. And just having that realization that I want friends, I want people in my life. Um, but I don't want to depend on that, you know, and, and it's not that I didn't know that, but it's different when you're not seeing everybody by choice and they accept it. Like that was the other pieces I did take comfort in, well, the elders made me do it kind of, I never said it that way, but, but anybody in my, in my circle understood I was supposed to be doing this. And so that gave me a pass. So it allowed me this space to not have any relationships and not have conversation, not have to return texts and phone calls and emails. And so it allowed me space to to say, yeah, what what is it I want to do? And it really refined um, even how I'm thinking about things now and what I'm looking for. It's made me a lot more grateful um, for those relationships. Um, and and in general, you know, the the return has been very, uh, I mean, relatively speaking, it's been very smooth. I, I still feel out of rhythm simply because it's the nature of things. Sure. Um, like when I get texts, I have to remind myself, you need to return that, you know? <laughs> I, and I do, I have to remind myself, um, but in general, it, it's just a beautiful thing to come back to a place you love, mm. you know? And, and there were times I was told it takes several weeks to decompress, mm. you know, that's just from other ministers that had taken sabbaticals. And I think it probably took me six weeks. It, it wasn't until then that I started to feel like I wanted to go back. There were times in the first six weeks, I'm like, I'm never going back. You yeah. know what I mean? And it had nothing to do with the people. It's just those feelings. And I knew I got a couple months to figure this out. But after six, eight weeks, I started to say, man, I'm, I think I'll be ready to go back, you know? Mm-hmm. And so it's been really beautiful, yeah. you know? So, um, man, that, that's just such a, such a cool perspective to hear from, um, especially like the progression of like feeling cruel to like, you know, getting to the point of like, okay, I'm never going to go back. You know, and I love that. I love that difference of like, we can feel like, man, I am just, I am so evil for not, you know, talking to people to be like, I never have to go. I'm never going back again <laughs> yeah, to so. like, man, I can't wait to get back. And then to actually, actually being there. So how, um, and you've touched on it quite a bit, but maybe just a little bit more um, direct 
So if you come into a situation, let's just say it's like, it's not even like a good situation. It's like, oh, I get to like have coffee with my friend Connor. Or I get to, you know, sit down and talk about Jesus with my friend Tim and my, my coworker and friend Tim. Um, it's like a really hard situation where it's like somebody needs you and there's high emotion and high pain. Um, and because you love them, you're going to take it on. Um, how has, and I don't know if this has happened yet, but um, how has this, this how has your sabbatical um, and all of that affected um, how you deal with, deal with, with really hard interactions? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, so one thing that having this space helped me to learn, and it was probably no surprise to my wife, but I had taken on a message early in life that it wasn't productive to feel my emotions. So I thought my emotions. And for those people that might not understand that, so we would do a thing around Memorial at times called a check-in and you would say, I'm checking in and, you know, you have seven or seven or eight choices of emotions, angry or sad or happy, excited. And you would say it and then give a little context. Well, when I would check in, I, and still to some degree, I still do this. I would ask myself, what would a person in my situation feel? Yeah. I wouldn't feel that feeling. I would say, oh, a person with this life, oh, somebody's in the hospital. I feel sad because somebody's in the hospital. I feel uh, confused because of it, you know, but I didn't feel yeah. it. And all Enneagram fives are just like, yeah, that's how it's supposed yeah. to be. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> if everyone could just be that, that'd yeah. be awesome. So I, um, you know, but, but the downside of not, the upside of not feeling your own emotions is I could be in hard situations yeah. and I could totally your emotions would be fine to me. You, I could enter into the hardest emotional situation possible. You know, somebody, you know, their family member committed suicide. They lost a child. They, you know, whatever you'd imagine, hardest thing. I feel like it's still, I feel like it's kind of a superpower. I can walk in and I'm fine because I don't feel that emotion initially. You know what I mean? The downside is the lie that if you don't feel it, it doesn't affect you. Yeah. And what would happen is it would come out sideways. So, so let's say I'm feeling angry. And there's something you say in a conversation that makes me angry, not even necessarily at you, you know, what happens is while I'm here, I'm in denial that I feel angry. I'm like, man, I'm so with you and I'm so supportive. I'm doing everything I can to, to communicate this, but I'm not processing that feeling. And then I get home and it's proverbial, go kick your dog, you know, well, that that's me. And it's not that I would go home and, you know, hit my wife and, you know, we don't have a dog, so <laughs> didn't have that, that target, but but it, it was just the idea of that it would be just there, you know, mm -hmm. and it would be combobulating, whatever that is, you know, just be like, 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 um, I like it. I, I'm, I'm waving. My I totally arms, see it. I totally yeah. see it. Yeah. But it, but it's that idea, you know, it's just kind of moving around and it's got that energy, that emotion has to find a place to go. And oftentimes it would dull me. It, it would, it would tire me. It mm -hmm. would be exhausting to be processing that while I was night. So now um, like for example, I had, we, we got some bad news in our, in our family circle, uh, last week. And, and one of my, uh, siblings had called me and they were expressing anger, not at me. And it was fine. It was very appropriate what they're saying. But I realized I would have started saying they feel angry. So I'm going to feel angry. You know what I mean? So now it's faux. And when you're, again, it's exhausting to produce something that's not really there. So here's the irony is I wouldn't, I wouldn't acknowledge my own anger but I'd create faux anger to meet this person at their anger. Yeah, me too. And you know what I mean? Then I'd get, and I'd just be tired. Like emotionally, I'd be tired. So now I, I recognize as I'm hearing him, I can have compassion for him. I was asking myself, do I feel angry? And I'm like, I don't. You know, I actually feel very much at peace with this. So I was able to help him and let him have that experience, you know, and then be free. Like I got off and I was just super free. And I, I told Heather later, I was like, that is amazing. 
You know what I mean? Now, now part of that, I don't even anticipate that what I'm saying is crystal clear to anybody, you know, because it was so much in my own head and my own body. But that idea of how much your, how much energy you hold in your body and how much energy you unknowingly expend because you made adjustments when you were young mm -hmm. and now you don't need to make those adjustments, but you're still doing all the stuff behind the scenes in your own heart and head. So that really came out, not just in the intensives, but then to be able to walk away and have time just to be, mm -hmm. and, and I'm going to be clear, you know, I, I binge TV shows. I, you know what I mean? I, I did all kinds, anything I basically wanted to do, I, that didn't require a lot of money. I did. Um, <laughs> and so, you know, it was just a very relaxing way of being, but, but there was a lot of processing. Then when I would interact with my kids or my, or my wife, there, it was almost like it was a, a case study of, okay, I learned this. How is this showing up? And I'm fortunate because my wife, and sometimes it drives me crazy, but, but she's very direct, you mm -hmm. know, and so as, but without being unkind. And so it was very helpful to say, okay, here's what I'm experiencing. How is this? But that virtual unreality, there are a lot of times I'm like, okay, so I'm, I'm gathering, you're mad at me. I'm getting anger in me because I think you have it and then you don't. And then I'm like, well, I don't really even feel angry at all, oh, you know, good. but yeah. again, I wasn't aware of it. That's really good. Yeah, just touching on that last piece. I, I, I still just, as we've been talking, I've been paying close attention, but I've just been thinking about the ramifications of the unreality glasses, and, and, realize that's such a help. That's just, such a helpful term for me because, like, I mean, I go through life thinking all the time of like, how are they not seeing? Like, how how are they not seeing the reality of the situation? And and I just and of course, like, I can break, I can I could break it down if somebody asks me a question. I'm like, okay, well, I know that like they have their experiences that affect how they view things. And I have my experiences, yada yada yada. But having that 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 visual image is so. Um, is so is so revealing and so helpful mm -hmm. um, for me. And so, yeah, I one, I'm just really thankful that you got this time. I think it's so um, it's so amazing. I was I was thinking a lot towards the beginning of your sabbatical or maybe we talked about this a little bit towards the very end. So uh, towards one of the last episodes. Um, but man, I, I one I love when churches get to do this for their pastors. But I would just love, you know, I, I just think it'd be so cool if churches could do this for other people in their congregation. You know, somebody's oh they're gonna take a, they're taking a break they're finding found a new job and you know the accountant is burned out and like what would it look like for a church to be like hey we're gonna help you out for the next month and like we just we want you to be able to you know binge TV shows and want you to be able to go and do the <laughs> I, I just I, I think about how how amazing how amazing would it be um, for uh, for not even just our, our preachers and our ministers but. Um, just anybody. I had the opportunity this summer, not the opportunity because it sounds horrible. Um, but my daughter needed me to be on FMLA for my job. And so um, we I was away from work for about a month, which was the first time it was the longest I've been away from work um, since maybe I was 17 or 18 years old. So that's like eight, eight, nine years. Um, and it was really it was really fascinating because it wasn't like I, I had stuff I had to do. Like I was actively caring for my daughter and actively um, taking care of her. But like all my rhythms were disrupted and all the ways of doing things were changed and, and different and odd. Um, and even for me, when it wasn't this concentrated experience of like a sabbatical, but a concentrated disruption of of the way I had been living my life for eight, nine years, um, it was I mean, it was so good for my marriage. It was so incredible because um, there were things there were rhythms that Hannah and I had settled into that we had never realized that we had done and we never had time or never had the space to do it because of the schedule of my job or the schedule of what things were, but because of Indigo's situation, she's all, she's all good now. Um, because of Indigo's situation, um, it just allowed us to have so much more concentrated um, time together. And some of Indigo's issues just really brought to head 
other things in our marriage and in our life. And um, yeah, I, I, I've been, I've been incredibly struck by um, we, we spend so much preachers and ministers and churches spend so much time, um, you know, coming up with uh, what's the word for um, like, if you have like a set, like of classes, well, uh, what's curriculum curriculum. Yeah. I don't mm-hmm. know. Churches spend so much time coming up with a curriculum, coming up with a, you know, sermon series and, and all in this effort for spiritual discipleship, which is fantastic and great. And, you know, we've talked about sometimes, I, I don't know if those are necessarily, if we do those in the best way possible to facilitate discipleship, but I've also wondered, you know, what would the, you know, in acts we see, you know, the church is sharing everything and they're doing everything together and they have all these crazy things. Like what would it look like if we were able to pool our resources, um, to be able to help, you know, help the the young mother who has been buried up to her eyeballs and three kids under the age of five and be able to give her a month away where a church rallied around to to care for her kids in a way that, you know, that she, I mean, you going through that made me realize like, man, what could it look like if, if we had that, um, if we had that mindset that sabbaticals could not just be for, you know, for preachers and ministers, but even for, for the whole body. Yeah, and I think I don't think I thought about it till this conversation, but a big piece of it is because typically people are like, where did you go? You know, and I, I did go and I traveled and I saw some good friends and that was good. It was, I like being on the road and doing that for for a time. So I was gone for about twenty days doing that. Um, but the um, the big thing is the break in the rhythm, you know, or the cycle or whatever, because you notice things you you wouldn't have otherwise. We we. You know, the term white noise is that idea of stuff that's there so much. It's just, what do you call it, ubiquitous. It's just always there, so you mm-hmm. stop noticing it. And I think in general, we do that. You know, We do that with our relationships, with each other. And oftentimes, it's crisis that brings it to a head where we're like, oh, wait a minute. Why are we doing this You know, kind of thing? So I do think, you know, and I know yeah. people. If we, had, if we had the opportunity to give people before the crisis, if we had like the opportunity to give people the space before the crisis, mm-hmm. how, how impactful could that be? Yeah, exactly. And, and the reverberating effects of that. Yeah. yeah, it is. It is fascinating. You know, one thing else I, I wanted to mention that I really saw in clarity when, when I went through those two intensive processes, both of them, one was seven days straight and one was three weekends. And both of them asked that we not share what we did for a living, you know, and um, it was fascinating that and I'm I'm more than happy because I mm-hmm. it, it's usually not advantageous for me to start a conversation with hi I'm Jason I'm a minister Reverend it, it, Jason yeah it just doesn't it, it's it's usually most of the time when people find out I'm a minister they say something like oh okay well I'm glad I knew you before I knew that you know <laughs> that 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 comes up quite a bit you know just yeah. simply because of church heard and and preconceived notions so I was really happy with that but what was fascinating is the safer people felt with me and in general. So many times the discussion turned to God. Hmm. It was fascinating. And I had to remind myself, don't say, you know, in First John 3 chapter, <laughs> you know what I mean? I would say, you know, I once heard that Jesus, you know, kind of thing, you know. And, what, and my go-to is always like if I'm trying to like, you know, I think that the desert mother and fathers used to say. Cause oh, like, yeah, exactly. It sounds a lot better than I read an article or, you know, somebody once told me you just you cloud everything in like a mystery and a mystical um, in mysticism. It just sounds so much better. I, I had one one man. He was an older guy and he was most of the people I was with. I didn't get a sense they were churched at all. And several of them were were clearly uh, atheists. Um but one man was like, do you go to seminary? And I'm like, no, I didn't, which is true. The education I experienced <laughs> wasn't technically seminary. Um, and then at the, the end... It wasn't accredited. Or- <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's right. At the end, when we'd share, I went back and I was like, I was telling you the truth. But it, but it is that dynamic that was fascinating to me 
that when people let down their guard, there was a hunger for God. Now, oftentimes they would, they would quickly draw a distinction with, I don't want to go to church, but, but it is interesting that so many times when I talk to people, if God comes up and I'm just in casual conversation, they don't feel safe enough to unpack what's really there. So their first response is, I'm not interested. I don't want that. Um, and, and that's okay. You know, that's their choice. God gave them that choice. But that realization of if we can create more safe places, what might God do? Or, or maybe you flip that around. Oftentimes we'll say, well, nobody wants to know, nobody cares. And it's like, well, I don't think they're, they feel confident enough that they could say something wrong and not be jumped on, you know? And then I've had subsequent, subsequent conversations based on this very thing I'm talking about with people that are, that are atheists here, you know, here in Tulsa. And when I talk about, can you imagine a world where you could come to a church and completely be yourself? And the response is always, no, I can't imagine that. I went to church all my childhood and and nobody was themselves. And I'm like, okay, well then that shows me that that's good work for church leaders to do. How do we create space where you could be yourself um, and, and still worship God? Because it's this ironic dynamic that you're like, well, does God know everything? Yes. Does God know every embarrassing, every guilty pleasure, everything? Yes. You know, if you believe that, that God knows everything and then simultaneously, but I'm going to come and worship him and I've got to cover it up. That should be a red flag to us. And yet I think for most of us, we would just say, well, that that's what church is. We covered up, we look good, we come to worship God. But I'm like, if the main focus, if he knows us, but we're pretending like we're not that, if you mm-hmm. apply the DNA relationship, if every time around my wife, I hid who I was, we would call that a dysfunctional and problematic relationship. That's really good. That, that that's a very helpful framing. I often think, um, you know, it, it's one of those it's one of those things. Churches will often talk about like you know, there's so much so much trauma for people getting up on a Sunday morning and going to churches. There's so much trauma and there's so much history there. Um, I often just think I'm like, man, if the culture and society is telling you that like like you would never tell a trauma victim being like, well, what you like, you know, you had you had a really traumatic situation. Um, you know, I'm trying, I'm trying not to get, I'm trying to think of something too specific, but something, um, relative enough. You'd be like, oh, you had a really traumatic situation, um, at the, at, at the, at a pool or whatever. You need to dive head first in the pool as many times you like, you you know, maybe our grandfathers would have told us that. Right. Um, but no, no trained person would be like, okay, I know exactly what you do. No, no prep. I know exactly what you need to do. No preparing, no anything into the deep end head first as many times as you possibly can. Mm -hmm. And I just wonder, is the church's dedication to the Sunday morning experience. Um, one, I, I think we're very clear that it's become an idol for so many people. Um, but if there was a less clear, if there was something else about mm-hmm. the church experience that was not as like big or as we would hold up as like, so, and we knew it was so clearly holding people back from seeking and questioning and wondering and wanting to be around people to ask questions and understand them and be known. Um, would we be as reluctant to try something new? Mm-hmm. Um, and if the, if the world and the culture are telling you like, I can't do a Sunday morning, I just can't do it. I can't go hear the guy speak and sing and, and do the whole bread thing, bread and wine thing. I can't do it. Um, <clears throat> that doesn't mean we forsake the gathering, mm-hmm. but maybe we do need to forsake the thing that has caused all this trauma. And, and at least in, in one way or the other, mm-hmm. you know what that looks like individually. I have no idea. Um, but it is, I, I know for so many people it is it is galling for someone to experience the sort of trauma they've experienced 
on a Sunday morning for their entire life and to be like, well, you just need to experience a new Sunday morning thing. You, mm-hmm. and, and, and there is a, there's a kind of truth to that. Um, but you can't get somebody to, you can't get somebody there. Um, like that's, that's years of work. That's years of progress down mm-hmm. the road. Not that like getting somebody to church on a Sunday morning is the be all end all. But yeah, I, I, I just, I've spent, I've spent so much time thinking about, um, I mean, church hurt is so ubiquitous and it's so real and it's, it exists and it's, it's a very real reality for me. And I get anxious Sunday mornings, even, even though I go, I get anxious and sometimes I don't feel comfortable, um, because of what I've experienced. Um, and I just, I do wonder what would it eat to, to take, to just superficially change some things, you know, for a healthy church to superficially change some things. How would that, how would that impact people who genuinely do have these questions and want a safe place to, to be and exist? I don't know. Yeah, lot, no, that was I, a lot. I, I think you're exactly right. And, and I think that's part of what I'm, I'm processing and have been processing with several people since I've been back is I don't think, I, I think you can be a, a Christian and not attend an organized space on a Sunday. Um, and, and yet that undercuts, you know, my role. I do believe uh, there's something you experience there that you probably don't experience anywhere else, you know, but for the person in particular, for the person that is, as you're describing, um, you know, to, to create forums. Well, if, if I come into a space and I am not allowed to ask questions, which most Sunday morning gatherings, they're not created to ask questions. Like there was no place I visited. No, Chris, for, no space for wonder. Uh, yeah. 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 There's like, anybody have just random questions for us? You know, it's just not created. It's, it's a spectator venue. Um, and, uh, and I didn't go to, well, most places I didn't go. I, most places I went didn't have like classes and things like that, you know, corollary. But if there's no, no space in the body life for me to ask honest questions, whether they're perceived as heretical, difficult, um, or basically, you know, pretty, Oh, it's easy. Just look here. If I'm not able to ask those questions, there's a block. Mm-hmm. And so why not create spaces where that's the purpose? Hey, we're, we're here to do that. So I, I'm, I'm prayerful about that and watch watching, you know, I've been processing this probably for about a year because as I see our twenties and thirty somethings drop out of church connection, I, I'm, I'm not thinking, Oh, they're just lost. I am thinking this forum is not speaking to them, mm-hmm. you know? And so are there, possibly intermediate forums to restore, you know, okay, yeah, mm-hmm. if I had these questions answered, I could enter into that other forum and feel better, safer, whatever. Or is that the end all, you know, not the yeah. end all, but you know, is, is that what's needed? This, and, and I know we've said this many times, I feel like, but there's no service presented in the New Testament um, that that looks like what we do on Sunday mornings. There's never a time where they're like, and here's what you do. And and God knows how to order something, you know. <laughs> the, even the ark, it was, it was minimal, but he, he said, here's what I want this to be, and the tabernacle, and yeah. I mean, goodness sake, the law and the and the temple. He knows how to order things. Mm-hmm. And then we, and then everything we do on Sunday mornings is backhanded information from letters. We're piecing it together, and we piece a little bit of this, a little bit of that, and we tend to piece based on our history, our experience, and our preference. And it's like, and that's not evil, but can we not pretend that that's God-given? Like God said, and thou shalt have a Sunday morning, and it will start at this time and end at that time, and here's all the you know parts to play. You know, we're piecing it together, which meant at one point, humans just like us looked around and said, I think this will benefit us the most. We're going to come together and we're going to do X and Y and Z, mm-hmm. you know, and that's great. 
But that doesn't mean, well, it's just fact. That's not biblical. It's not yeah. evil. It's simply not biblical. And I think once we, we really accept that, and they're like, okay, God, you're the creative God. You're the Elohim. You're the one that created everything and continues to be creative. What, what is it you want for this next generation? Um, because I'm telling you, it was shocking to me, the people that would communicate with me. And it reminds me, we, we had a, that, that preacher, Terry Rush, that preceded me at Memorial. He went to fantasy camp. For, I, I always, that's how I, that's always referred to Terry Rush, that Terry Rush. That Terry Rush. But he went to fantasy camp with the St. Louis Cardinals, and he was meeting people where they were. They felt safe. And over time, he became the minister in many ways. He, he would lead services there. Like, you know, the, the people, if you're a St. Louis Cardinals fan, you know, historically, he rubs shoulders with Ozzie Smith, and he rubs shoulders with, with uh, Lou Brock. I'm not a baseball fan, <laughs> but I know his stories. And it started with him going to baseball camp. It was safe, and then he would just share himself, you know. Mm-hmm. But this demand that, well, before we talk, you need to fit into my mm-hmm. – I mean, the younger generation is not obligated to do that. Yeah. On any level, whereas my generation, Gen X, we still felt some obligation. But millennials and younger, by and large, they don't feel obligated to do that. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, you know, you, there's always something you lose and something you gain. But something you gain is they are looking for something real, mm-hmm. and they're not going to pretend. And at the end of the day, that's really what I think we should want, yeah. you know. Uh, we don't need to be impatient with it, but we need to keep pushing. Let's really connect with God here, or let's reimagine it. Yeah, no, that's really that's really good, uh, and that kind of we're gonna wrap up and just kind of talk about one thing that just one specific thing that, that sticks out to us that God has been doing, and, and what you just said kind of connects in my heart. I saw something yesterday, and we're talking about the, the death of the Queen. There's an author, his name is John Green. Um, yeah, he wrote like The Fault in Our Stars, or whatever, and he had a video, and he was talking about how you know if you think about it in the perspective of, of the Queen, it was basically like four lifetimes ago that. Um, the Reformation happened. And you think about like how many lifetimes it's been since you know the, the death of Christ and, and all these things. Um, and you get this perspective like the, the church and the church is eternal and it you know the gates of hell will not stand against it. Um, but we get the sense that like the way we've done things or, or um, it's all just set. It's all it is what it is. And even if we want to change some things, it's so hard to imagine the shifts or the um, it being any different or it looking any different because it's just such a massive system. And even the parts that aren't connected, the denominations that aren't connected, um, they all feed back into each other. And it just is, it, it feels like this thing that is so, um, that so many of the unhealthy aspects of the things we do, it just feels impossible to fix. And one of the things that God has been really working on me for the past um, few, maybe the past couple months um, is just as I've kind of been spending a lot more time in the Old Testament and even spending time with Jesus and his disciples, um, God is <clears throat> God is so much more convinced. God is so much more concerned with his people taking the next step than his people arriving. Um, like when you look at the characters, like my, the example, and we'll talk about sometime, I got the chance to speak on Abraham um, and for God, he's establishing this family and he seems radically okay with Abraham not getting the full picture. He's perfectly content for Abraham to just take that next step and that next step. And even you look at the stories of the disciples and we, we dog on the disciples all the time for them not understanding, for them not getting it. And we, we ask the question, how does Jesus just not say, st- like stop in a moment and be like, look at Peter in the eyes and be like, you realize that just because you are Jew, that does not mean you're better than the Gentile or any, or any of it. Or how you realize, I'm telling you, I'm going to die. Like repeat to me the words, Jesus, you were going to die um and jesus seems radically okay with his disciples just taking one step back and one step forward and god seems even you go back to the story god seems radically okay with 
the kingdom of God coming to bear small steps at a time. And that's just something, you know, Jesus comes and he changes so much and it's amazing and it's incredible. Um, and he just shifts the paradigm massively. But when you look at the story of God and his people, um, God is like, he wants, he wants us to, you know, be more like him. He wants us to be complete and be, be like Jesus. Um, but how he knows how we work is that we change and we grow more like Jesus, just painfully slow. Um, and God doesn't seem mad about that. God doesn't seem frustrated. In fact, God seems to have set it up so that we can do that. And so that's what I, I've been trying to remind myself. As I get frustrated with how things are or even get frustrated with myself and my growth. Um, God can, one, I, like I, I can be wrong for my sins and my failures and my inability to like take that next step forward. But God is not calling for me to arrive. God's calling for me to take a step. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I think that that fits my experience is that, you know, I get back and there are new people and I, there are new things that have happened and, and, and that's good. And, and when I die, it will happen and happen and happen. And, and that's the thing is any blessing that God gives me, I am tempted to worship that blessing at the cost of not worshiping God and not trusting in God. Uh, and that includes my skill and my, um, programming and my whatever success, however you'd measure that. And that dynamic of, of recognizing he could have recorded these stories. He could record any story he wanted. He recorded these stories in this way with their inadequacy pretty much front and center throughout. And yet, man, look at these big, what we would consider victories, you know. But in no case did the person have any real pre-planning. Uh, most of the time, they're as shocked as everybody else when it goes well, <laughs> you know. And he does that. I mean, he goes out of his way to do that. And and the assumption that, well, if what I'm doing is not going well, then maybe I need to da da da. And and the answer is, you know, it, it's belief. I mean, and it's so so. I don't know. It's almost so cliche. We look over like, well, belief plus, you know, yeah. ten years of training, you know. And I'm like, well, I'm not anti-training, but even with the training, if you don't believe, the training won't amount to anything. You know, your effort won't amount to anything. That fact of saying, okay, God, I've got this moment. It's the only moment I have. I'm going to believe you now and then believe you in the next and believe you in the next. And that's what leads to his power. That is, that is, I think for many Christians, that feels way too small. You know, I have to have this big idea and these kind of things. And if you have a big idea, fantastic, but it's the same thing. Do you believe in God? Do you believe that God is who he says he is? And the power of believing that that's what matters, yeah. not belief plus these 10 things I do. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. Do you believe that God can move just as powerfully in me being a slightly more faithful husband and a slightly more faithful dad and a slightly better you know accountant or what do i believe that like that god if that's how god is working and the spirit is moving in me that that is just as meaningful just as important as what i perceive to be a big step and that that, that's such a we've talked about that sort of thing all the time but until until you live it in a in in a new way each time you live it um, it just, it doesn't, it doesn't hit it as close to home. So this is a very long episode. I don't know if this will end up being a two-parter or if we'll, you know, cut in half, but if you made it this far, especially if, if I just released it as one whole episode, kudos to you. Um, you must really have missed our voices or at least one of our voices. Don't let us know which one. Um, and so we're really excited again to see what God does with this, where we go, um, what exactly it looks like. We're not a hundred percent sure yet. We've received some questions in the past few months, um, from people who emailed in using the website and, and we'll, we'll go over those questions at a certain point um, and we have some other ideas for maybe not strictly exactly like how we've done Amazing Perplex but if you have any thoughts or ideas or you know um, things you've really missed about Amazing Perplex that you would love for us to you know 
uh, if you're like, don't change it one bit, just keep doing Jesus stories or, you know, just never say the word Jesus. Well, we'll probably say the word Jesus again. Um, you know, just let us give us some feedback. Let us know um, what you want this new chapter of Amazing Perplexed to, to look like. And, and I guess if we have zero listens, we'll know that that will be the answer for what the next chapter of Amazing Perplexed needs to look like. Outstanding. Uh, grace, peace, and love.